life on the road. It's booze, tacos, angry dwarfs, strippers waving guns, and fees, fights, cancel flights, running with the runs, and blacklists, bounce checks, great a bachelorette, <laughs> drunks in the front, making out for your set, and middle acts doing blow more, missing merch, and drive the rental car past another mega church, and juice keys, vagina fist, your cell phone is gone. One big law and order marathon. All right, let's try that again. Can you tell me everything you were just saying about Turtle? Turtle? I'm just kidding. <laughs> oh, thank God. <laughs> turtle is when the guy sits on the girl's head. Ew. Ew. Is that a sexual no. move, the turtle? <laughs> I can it could be. It is now. Teenagers. <laughs> That's disgusting. <laughs> it's got nothing on, on tangential. What is uh, tantric sex? Right. <laughs> it's, yeah. It's eight hours bullshit. This is a hundred years. <laughs> and it just it's just me wandering slowly in your yeah. backyard with no pants on. <laughs> is an apple slice? Anything? <laughs> nope. <laughs> Thanks for tuning in to Road Stories, everybody. Uh, I am your host, Murray Valeriano, as always, coming to you from the Valeriano Podcast Studios. Um, still not soundproofed yet, so we got a stack of uh, stack of Kipling and Ascot. Uh, well, you got language. a Ricardo over here, too. I there's a, a Ricardo. There's a Ricardo. And uh, if not, there should be one from my wife when she uh, worked on, uh, what was that Leonardo DiCaprio movie about him being a pilot? Catch me if you can. Catch me if you can. So one of these is a prop luggage. One of those is a prop luggage, but I don't see it. It must still be. Maybe she took it to Iceland with her. I guess so. Fascinating. Store baggage. (laughs) Some people have emotional baggage. You just have actual old baggage. I have a ton of suitcases and Fernie pads hanging to balance the sound today. I'll get it soundproofed eventually, I promise. And then I won't have to explain this. Um, Let's get right into it. I've been wanting to do an episode about uh, sketch and improv groups who tour. Oh, what's that noise? <laughs> All the stand-ups uh, <laughs> turning the podcast <laughs> off right now. <laughs> um, because we talk about, you know, we tell you, you are a form of comedians. Wow. I would say. That's the highest compliment. <laughs> <laughs> that's... Um, so I've been, because that's, uh, that's how I got started. I was in a sketch and improv group at the Ice House for a year and a half before I branched off into stand-up. And then I thought, who... Could I get to do this? And then it dawned on me that literally two of my all-time favorite people toured as stand-up and sketch. So I'm really excited to have these guys on the show today. Uh, earphones right. Um, I met playing in WACA. The, what, what does that stand for? The World Adult Kickball Association. <laughs> the World Adult yeah. um, yeah, we got, we got, uh, we got to know each other playing adult kickball Monday nights. Um, where I constantly injured myself. Murray was one of the best players who got zero recognition. He would often slide or take a, a flying leap to, to get on base and stand up bleeding, and this would go completely unrecognized by the captain of the team or anybody else. <laughs> because I got, I got asked. It was a group of Floridian improvisers, yeah. and, yeah. and I just happened to know I played cards with one of them. He's like, hey, you should come play kickball with us. I'm like, I'd love to. That sounds fun. I would bleed for this team and get no recognition because I was not part of but the girl who would whiff strikes out during kickball by the way would get carried off on her shoulders and get the spirit award (laughs) (laughs) meanwhile you're Pete Rosen around the bases and nothing nothing, man Johnny Hustle eventually I told I told uh, Jeff Hopkins is who I'm talking about 
I told Jeff, I'm like, dude, I can't play anymore, man. <laughs> like, I'm like, I'm not getting any recognition. Not yeah. that I want the recognition, yeah. but I'm giving 110% and getting nothing in return. I'm yeah. trying to imagine a sports situation where you would be the <laughs> the most athletic, <laughs> excelling person yeah. in the in the in the area. Yeah. That that baffles my mind. So hearing <laughs> hearing you have talked about sports before, like I imagine you kicking the ball and then going like standing on your car for a few minutes. <laughs> Or, you know, throwing Fritos at people, just and, not and, knowing what to do. And, sir, I give you adult kickball. Yeah. <laughs> this is the only yeah. sport I could somewhat even close to. Excel is a strong word. <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to. My listeners know I'm not exactly the uh, athletically gifted or interested person. So, yes, that is true. Um, so then I met Jeff, who turned out to be a really great writer, a really great uh, comedian, really good uh, director. Your short one several awards yeah i've got it and currently have a podcast a web series uh, called fake adam west where i pretend to be the old tv batman who we all remember some of us but and it is so funny it's hysterical i've shared a couple of your clips on my facebook page it's hysterical where can we find that fake adamwest.com or youtube slash fake adam west and it's uh it might be joining a popular multi-channel network that has a very nerd type followings. So oh. we'll see what happens. But um, okay. I'm shooting with them next week. As oh, is that what you're... Okay. Yeah. Okay, yeah, good. Yeah, yeah. It's a little special thing with them. So. Um, we're not saying who it is. Yeah. We won't say who it is, yeah. but that person was on my show oh. two episodes ago. Oh, cool. <laughs> the guy who did oh. it. So, and we, I re- I'm actually record, I recorded there while we were redoing the studio. Yeah. So great. Good. I'm yeah. stoked to see that. Anyone with a laptop might be able to decipher that <laughs> clue, Murray. <laughs> oh, well, don't tell them. Okay. <laughs> Uh, it's and his birthday, by the way, Adam West. I'm today? sorry, the day that we are recording this. So, if everybody next year you want to write a card. <laughs> so, Adam, what are you doing for your birthday? Well, I am going downtown <laughs> to uh, the Trader Joe's has free samples. <laughs> and, uh, stock up on that. <laughs> and I think they give you a free sub at Subway on your birthday. <laughs> Fingers crossed. <laughs> awesome. Uh, so check that out. Um, we usually get to plugs at the end, but that's Sorry. all right. No, that's okay. Breach of etiquette. Uh, and then sitting earphones left, um, my arch nemesis. Grrr. Beginning, we, we, I met this guy. Uh, long story, so I'll try to short it. I wrote the pilot for Country Fried. We got picked up. We needed to bring on another writer. They brought on this guy, stuck us in a room, and basically said, have it out. (laughs) And I got there about seven, after you had written the pilot, been working on the show for months and months, I got there the day I started about seven minutes before you did, so I took the desk by the window, (laughs) and I still don't think you've forgiven me. Oh, no, no. Because Murray's desk had one of those really old window unit air conditioners that blew right in his face, and I'm pretty sure he got Legionnaire's disease (laughs) a couple weeks into the gig, uh, and I I still am playing catch-up with Murray (laughs) ever since. (laughs) But we went on to write several several episodes of television for, man, for how long? For the last six years we've been a while now for like the last six years we somehow ended up on the same show at least at one point so brett calvert joins us yay today i bring these guys on because um they've toured on boats there's a sketch and improv on boats which i haven't done any i actually got a call for a boat work yesterday from don barnhart but uh i don't know man i highly recommend it i I have to tell you that uh, it's it's still I look back on it so fondly. Really? Yeah, I really do. There was some nightmare scenarios, but being twenty years old and beers being a quarter. Oh yeah. And you know, 
just living your life in the sunshine. That's, I, I, it was a great gig. But didn't you guys go corporate? Like, weren't you in a corporate situation? Because now, if you, you get hired as a stand-up on a boat, they're like, okay, you can do an hour clean, good, come on. Didn't you guys have to go through, like, corporate training? Well, uh, Brett and I had different experiences. Brett was on a Disney cruise ship. And uh-huh. I was on a Norwegian, air, uh, Norwegian cr- uh, cruise ship, and I was going through... Second, the second city. So, oh, okay. And you went through Disney? Uh, no, I went through a company in Minneapolis called the Brave New Workshop. Okay. A, uh, a very, uh, the America's oldest improv uh, theater, I believe. Uh, they've, you know, a really established uh, improv company that started a contract with Disney to, to hire the cast and rehearse them and everything. So I got hired through them oh, okay. and then had to go work for Disney. I would say if you are talking about the, the kind of restraints around your material that a, comic might have uh-huh. um when my experience was there there was a sketch show that we did where it was scripted and then there were two different improv shows one was encouraged to be very family friendly and mm-hmm. clean because there were kids there and it was during the day sure and one was the most foul uh improvisation i've ever seen or done oh really I, I, or f- i almost feel like i was impaled by the experience because <laughs> it was Literally, like being invasively sodomized doing <laughs> doing this improv because, um, you know, to jump into it, um, it would be at about 11 p.m. on the last night of the cruise where you're about to pull into port. Yeah, people are really trying to get the last bit of fun out of their experience, so they're drunk as hell. I'm sure they're if they're trying to if they didn't hook up, they're trying to hook up. Right. If they, you know, if if you were a type of person who's going to shout out suggestive uh, improv suggestions in front of other people, that's their chance, and they yeah, know yeah. what it is. So, um, I had the suggestion. They got a little list on their hand: the tampon, yeah. toilet, yeah, yeah, <laughs> gynecologist. Yeah. Yeah, 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 exactly. My, my experience was that. Like, so, hey, somebody shout out an emotion: titties <laughs> would, be, would be the emotion that you would hear from these folks. So, in terms of the the cleanliness or not rated R, uh-huh. this was rated X. Was that was that like was that just a matter of circumstance of audience or was that the X-rated show? Was it, that billed as the X-rated was, show? We were trained, we were told this is going to be the X-rated show. It was that fire was fueled by the clientele. Okay. Our, our ship ported out of New Orleans mm-hmm. and it, the economies of, of the ship were, this was kind of the Southwest Airlines of their fleet of the Southwest Airlines of cruise ships. And so the people who got on it were what they described, the people from the Redneck Riviera. Sure, so, yeah, yeah. Um, these guys, I don't know who, what I thought type of people went on cruise ships, but you would see this guy at the captain's table and he would have a t-shirt that says, I like fishing and fuck you. Right. <laughs> so this is the guy. My shot. brother went. <laughs> oh my God. I had no idea. We, when, as the, the, the groups would come on the boat on, on disembark day, we would play a game called find the radio contest winner. <laughs> like, There's no way that person shelled out yeah. the money it takes to go to this board. There he is. Yeah. These were the, what, what ultimately when you sat down and talked to him, the best people you've ever met in your life, but as far as an improviser who relies on suggestions from the audience, it, it was always a real challenge to uh, get something that didn't make you just blush. <laughs> One of the suggestions I heard once for a blues song was, how about a noun? I don't know if I can even say this on Go the ahead. podcast. Pussy sausage. <laughs> <laughs> Are you, that's the title of this episode. Are you, yeah, that's you a, just that's landed a, the title of this that episode. Is... Not only can you say it. <laughs> But in your Facebook feed, it'll become a pussy sausage with Brett Calvert 
That's amazing. For the first yeah. time in recorded entertainment, ladies and gentlemen, <laughs> pussy sausage. Well, Brett had a you, – you were at a Disney cruise. I was on a Disney cruise. So it was – at first we had to – they were still laughing at yeah, pussy no, sausage. Yeah, that's brilliant. We, at first we really had to you know, keep it clean, but we were in an 18 and over room. So there was no kids in the room, but still they wanted it PG at worst. Sure. We realized about – I did two contracts. In the first contract, we kind of you know, stuck to the game plan. My second contract, we knew we were going to be the last cast on board. They had, they're had they going to put in a dueling pianos. We right, had nothing right. to lose, and we realized nobody was watching us at all. So we kind of stepped over that line. Not We nef, nef, never got to Pussy Sausage. <laughs> we didn't even approach Pussy Sausage. Well, Pussy Sausage has been done, <laughs> right. let's be honest. So, But you know, but we would, you know, we, it got cursed, and it got a little, little dirtier. Um, and we abandoned. We had to do originally. We had all these like little cutesy songs and these little sketches that were kind of Disney themed sure. or were satires of Disney songs. And about two weeks into that second contract, we're like, we're not doing this. The most the most embarrassing thing that's ever happened in my life. We did this thing called uh, Traditions, which is a uh, the Disney orientation. You go for a couple of days. They teach you about what Mickey Mouse should mean. Oh, to you. that's and, what I was talking. Yeah, yeah I, okay. It's unbelievable. It's called Literally, it's called Traditions. And a girl in one of my cast snapped on the second day. Literally, just. <laughs> And I had to run out of the room because it's just all this corporate right, indoctrination right. stuff. Um, and so we uh, we're getting a tour with the rest of our traditions class. And there's like people from Germany and people from the Philippines and just everywhere in the world. Every job you could think of on a ship. We're all in this one class. And we go through the comedy club on the tour. And they're like, hey, why don't you do some of your stuff for the people. So we get up and do this satire song called It's a Mall World After All. <laughs> right. <laughs> Which I just, I've never seen such, it wasn't hatred. You know, usually in a comedy club, you do something not funny. People are angry at yeah, you. Yeah, yeah. It was just such, they were so baffled that they were going to be scraping barnacles and cleaning <laughs> yeah. 12-year-olds puke right. out of, you know, gang planks for their entire time here. And we were doing <laughs> oh. this. Oh, and so it just, wasn't just performers. It was Oh, no. This was, this was everybody. The grounds oh, crew, the God. deck crew, just all these people. And, you know, most of them didn't speak much English and uh, it, it really drove home how just silly what it was we were sent there to do and it couldn't even be comprehended by the people that we had spent all those days with. Yeah, man, for such a family, and I've worked for Disney before, but such a family-oriented company, they're the most hateful. <laughs> like, they treat their employees like shit. They're, they, they, weren't they firing their gay employees in the 90s for a while? They wouldn't give benefits to... It would, yeah, I'm sure, I, think, I think Walt's head... Told them to do that. Oh, I'm that's sure right. That, yeah, oh, from, and Walt, Walt himself, known anti-Semite. He ran like an anti-Semitic magazine or something. Well, or, I'm, a, I'm a. You're talking to the wrong guy. Oh right, yeah, you're an employee. He's, he's, yeah. Yeah. I'm a former employee, so I can say that's absolutely. A, I'm a former employee, so <laughs> yeah. I can say absolutely. There's a lot yeah. of mythology. Just there is, is is mythology regarding Disney animated content or whatever. There's sure. a lot of mythology regarding. Walt Disney, I've heard that Walt was actually, like some people like in the McCarthy era, uh -huh. hired to kind of infiltrate some of the uh, Hollywood um, socialist meetings and things like that. So so he might have infiltrated like a, a, a pro-European aggression. This is stupid. Why don't I mean? <laughs> Whoa. Well, I'm sure Tom Hanks is going to get to the bottom of it coming this fall. I was going to say that, that what Brett brought up about the, the kind of the 
political aspect of being an entertainer on a cruise ship is really fascinating to me because I kind of discovered that everything about that experience of being a performer on a cruise ship is just like the bigger entertainment industry. There's a lot of extent in which you as a cast member were above the line. So you were a face character who could go out and interact with guests. You were encouraged to interact with guests. Uh -huh. I know as a person representing Second City on a cruise ship, you were in the world of that cruise ship, the closest thing to a celebrity sure. anybody sure. had. Um, so you were encouraged to go interact with guests and things like that. Whereas the other people, housekeeping, cooks, engineers, were encouraged to stay away under the bowels of the ship. And I'll go a step further. On Disney, the the people who were actually characters, like the ones who played you know, Belle in the Beauty and the mm -hmm. Beast show or right. main stage or whatever, they had to stay below oh, because they, they couldn't ruin the illusion. If oh, that's right. Them, someone might put together that Belle's not a real person and sure. they just can't have yeah. it. In fact, they had a guy in a goofy suit during one of the shows fall off the stage, land on his head and was twitching. <laughs> right. And they wouldn't help him until they cleared the, the entire crowd and then once everybody was gone, put a partition around him. Wow. Then they took his head off and gave him it because they didn't want people thinking that Goofy wasn't a real thing. <laughs> sure. But the other thing I was going to say is through that Brave New Workshop contract, we got a great deal. We had our own rooms. Yeah. My room had like a double bed and I had a couch. Like really? all stuff. And a lot of the people, waiters, deck crew, they had were sleeping two, four to a room, yeah. uh, sharing a bathroom between six or eight of them. Like it was just nightmare conditions. And you had the suite? Oh, it was nice. I bet you got a lot of pussy sausage. <laughs> yeah. That's, I, we, I got a couple stories that would you we, say, we could discuss. I would say like discussing the overall gig, of all the things that improvisers can do, and I've done like the audience interactive stuff like mm -hmm. Tony and Tina's and Flanagan's Awake. And oh, you did Tony and Tina's Yeah, wedding? yeah. Toured in a van doing tour co for an improv company. Of sure. all the gigs, that was probably the most cush gig. Oh. Especially if you were from New York. You come from Manhattan. You sleep in an apartment the size of a closet. Now you've got a stateroom like you got. That's yeah, and I, cool. I was I was twenty years old, yeah. and you know I was making you know grand a week, and was was yeah. you know just getting laid left and right, right, and right. frozen drinks for dinner, and it I was would great. say then that the then what I recognized after being a week on the ship was the gig wasn't what you thought. You're not really getting paid to do two hours of improv a week or whatever on on the second city cruise, the first one we did about two hours of work a week. You're getting paid to not go crazy being stuck on a Absolutely. cruise ship, yeah. which was the real challenge for me. I'm, I liken it to, imagine your favorite roller coaster. You get on that roller coaster, you have a great time. You get off and you realize there's no line. I can go on again. Halfway through that next ride, you start to feel barfy. Yeah, yeah. Then at the end of that next ride, you want to get off, they, your seat is locked. Yeah. You got to stay on that roller coaster <laughs> for four months. Our contract, yeah, our contracts were five months, and I thought that was perfect because I spent three months, especially the first time, being like, "Oh my god, I can't believe I get to do this for sure. a living." And then a month being like, "Okay, I'm I'm ready for this to go." And then the final month, you're like, "If I don't get off this boat, I'm going to murder someone right. in a very bad way yeah. and display their body." How because as stand-ups or even touring mm -hmm. off a boat on land, you know, we, we can go to the movies, we can go to the gym, we can sleep in, yeah. we can drink, we can watch TV. I mean, yeah. we can go to the mall, we can go to Denny's. What do you do on a boat for the 23 hours in the day that well, you're not performing? We had a movie theater and stuff, so but still, you know, there's just that... We you had to wait till Thursdays and Sundays when we docked, and you could take the fun bus, <laughs> the fun <laughs> to, bus? to Cocoa Beach. Hello, fun bus, <laughs> Cocoa Beach. <laughs> I'm telling you, <laughs> and it was it was like literally like going to Walmart was the <laughs> biggest event of my oh, week. Yeah, it was yeah. so exciting to like be on land and to you know yeah. 
On I, the run from Johnny Law. It's no, it's no fun bus to Cocoa Beach. <laughs> no fun, I, I swear to God, that's what it was called, too. The fun bus. If you, I found that you know, when I've done the gigs where you're touring with a bunch of improvisers, you tend to hang around with the same people who are just like you. On a cruise ship, especially during those days at sea where you, you couldn't really figure out anything other to do than to interact with people, I found that people found their cruise ship identity. Like there was a guy who was the musical director on our ship who started working out, losing weight. He started dressing like this Russian acrobat dude who was training him in the gym. So like you tend to, and there was, there was guys what? who, yeah, it was totally crazy. Like he, 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 and he ultimately worked himself into one of the shows, the dancing show, the musical number. So this guy's a musical director. He plays improv piano. Sure. And he ultimately became this guy who wore tight Armani sh exchange shirts and kind of a Euro douche. He's a nice guy. He's not a douche, but he kind of started to dress like that. The term is Euro trash. Sorry, Euro trash. Yeah. So, but then like there was other people who like started hanging around with the, the other, the, the uh, Czechoslovakian jazz band or you, <laughs> you, you essentially get up and join the circus. And so you interact with all these people you might never meet. They're certainly not improvisers sure. or all these other things. So I found that fascinating. Who like, did you flock to? You know, I w I'm married and was on the cruise ship with my wife, right. so we spent a lot of time together. And you know what? We what when you talk about what do you do and not go crazy? You go to we used to go to the gym a lot. Yeah, just kind of write horrible screenplays. Sure. Um, so yeah. And by the way, Jeff is really addicted to the gym right now. All your it's, Facebook posts are all <laughs> CrossFit. Yeah, I'm kind of staving off decrepitude uh, by joining a cult called yeah. CrossFit. Um, aren't you afraid of Joe Piscopoing, where you just, <laughs> you just start to get Ooh, really buff? Carrot topping. And then the less carrot funny topping. you get, the buffer you get. Yeah. Yeah. Carrot yeah. topping. If, if you start equation. putting on eyeliner, we're going to have to talk. <laughs> yeah, now, I had a different experience because I was a single guy, and I was a 20-year-old. So most of the free time I had was spent uh, fucking. Oh. That's how I how I. I I'm sorry, most the of the time, time was, free, was what? Uh, fucking. Fuck. I'm sorry. Yeah, having having intercourse. Oh, intercourse. Got yes. You. Well, it d it depended. You know, like it varied from time to time. I spent a lot of time with the, like the, I, I'm not going to say any names, but like the main stage cast members, like the, the actors and dancers and singers. Uh, we all spent a lot of time together, and uh, you know, just some other people some that people might have paid to get on the boat. One time, I uh, <laughs> could you? I was going. I planned on telling the story. I accidentally mm -hmm. slept with the first officer's fiance. Oh. Uh, and if you don't know what that is, like the guy right under the captain. It's like the Jonathan Frakes of the ship. And I, I, I totally didn't mean to, but apparently they'd had a fight. And, and you slept with a girl right under the guy right So I accidentally slept with the first uh, officer's fiance and uh, ended up getting uh, drug tested. They had a dog come to my room. I got extra safety duties. Because he found out? Yeah, he found out. Wow. And so I had to do all these safety drills and I had to take all these tests. <laughs> Um, and I, having been in the Bahamas, one of the things that we did do was smoke a lot of pot. Mm -hmm. Um, and so one of the things that happened is I got drug test. And so I went to one of the other members of my cast, uh, this gentleman by the name of Bruce Green. For those of you who uh, have seen True Grit, he's the guy that can only make rooster sounds. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and that's my little guy. Love Bruce Green. Uh, and he peed in a condom for me. <laughs> and so I had to go into this. And it's like on a boat, there's like a jail. There's mm -hmm. like boat police. Like it's right. serious business. To go in there, the guy frisked me and apparently just thought I had a squishy bulbous penis because he sure. didn't say anything. <laughs> I do the whole thing. I rip a little hole in it. I put it in there. I'm not allowed to wash my hands because part of the stuff I've got Bruce, Bruce's pee all over me and his wet 
old condom in my pocket uh, and he tests positive with his pee for methamphetamines. <laughs> so after all of this, they run through and they're like, uh. and so I said to him, well, I took some NyQuil a couple days ago and they're like, oh, that's probably it and just let me go. Oh, really? And that was the end of the story. But that was the most terrified I've ever been in my life right. was just being covered in Bruce Green pee. How do you think Bruce Green feels now that you just told that story? I, I'm sure he feels kind of funny about the it. realities of being on a ship uh, like Brett uh, talked about drug testing and and the jail. There's like a brig that you could go to if you kind of screw up. And then and then every it's like Disney jail. It's like Disney jail. Like every week or so, we would have to do things like a boat drill or do these things that um, you know normally as a comic or an improviser you don't have to be a navy officer, which right. is what you kind of have to do. Right. Anybody that works on a ship has to be able to perform certain safety functions. Really? And so they have to drill you on them and test you on them. And plus when people would come in, we would like direct their cuz the any passenger has to go through safety training. So we would be the ones that were like telling them where to go and where to stand and how to put on the life vest and all that junk. Really? Oh yeah. I've seen more 11-year-olds throw up <laughs> on that. For, they get on the boat the first time. They go up to the safety meeting, stand in the sun for 20 minutes, and, and barf all over my shoes. Would you say that um, some of the things that people would pay to go see, like exotic locations in the Bahamas uh, or the Disney island that they have, the private island, you get immune to as a cast member? You get just so... Because I, I know by the... By week three, if I had to sit out on another beach and listen to feeling hot, hot, hot. Oh, I can't do Jimmy myself. Buffett at all. Yeah. I can't. I cannot listen to Jimmy Buffett now at all. And we had closed circuit TVs that keep showing like the same four movies over and over. Yeah. So Miss Doubtfire, I can never watch again. <laughs> never in a million <laughs> years. You, say, like, you guys <clears throat> have never sounded more white than <laughs> right now, by the way. Was, and they ruined Mrs. Doubtfire for me. <laughs> there was a time when I would walk. I remember walking from one end from the stern to the stem or whatever the boat, forward to after the boat, and hearing Brown Eyed Girl played by five different live bands <laughs> in different versions. Like, you'd start with the Calypso Brown Eyed Girl, and then there'd be just the guy with the folk guitar Brown Eyed Girl, and then there's a Filipino jazz cover of Brown Eyed Girl, and then you get to the main ballroom. And yeah. It's Van Morrison Van himself. Brown Eyed Girl. We would do, since we, like I said, the closed circuit TVs, Meet Joe Black was one of the movies. So we had a, a like a phone tree of like 40 of us who would call each other when he was about to get hit by the cab. <laughs> <laughs> so we would all make sure everybody knew, oh crap, he's about to get hit. So at least twice a day, we watched Brad Pitt get hit. Now, did you, did you guys have. One thing I don't... All right, there's two things I despise about uh, sketch and improv. Uh, sketch, uh, I hate when people call it skits. Yeah. Oh, it's oh, the yeah. worst. It drives me yeah. crazy. It's like skits are for the Boy Scouts and youth group. Every it's, time I talk to one of my aunts, she's like, you can you can use this in one of your skits. <laughs> <laughs> it's just like, I'm not trying to keep fifth graders off drugs. Yeah. It's not a skit. <laughs> it bugs the... Even to this day, it bugs the shit out of me. And then... Uh, really bad names for improv groups like the Wacky oh, Meatballs. Yeah. Did yeah. you guys uh, have a bad name? Premises or? Under Construction was is the fake one that I always... Premises <laughs> Under... Funny Side Up. <laughs> it's like an egg, but it's a pun. We. Uh, by were, the way, no, no offense to LA-based uh, improv group uh, Wacky Meatballs. Yeah. I didn't mean to piss we, anybody off. We didn't have a name. We were just... The, it was called the Offbeat Comedy Club, so we were okay. the Offbeat Players, players or, whatever. or whatever. Yeah, yeah we... Uh, what was interesting about coming from the Second City is some people have an awareness of who the alumni are mm -hmm. from Second City. Like, you can say, we're the Second City. We have distinguished alumni such as John Belushi, Gilda Ratner, John Candy, and people really have an understanding who that is. Sure. But they might not know who the Second City is. 
particular. They know what Saturday Night Live is for sure because okay. they've seen it forever. And um, in the world of a cruise ship, that was a kind of a popular thing. Like people kind of understood, especially your average redneck, they know what Second City is or they know what Saturday Night Live is. But when you take them to Caliente Nights, the mm -hmm. production show in which you know women and gay men are dancing around in colorful costumes, they hate that. So right. we became celebrities on the ship really quickly. Like mm -hmm. after our first show, those guys wanted to buy you a drink and want to high five you and sit at your table and stuff like that. So unlike the LA experience in which an improviser is maybe below wedding DJ and above pedophile in terms of like, not eh, that far I mean, above pedophile. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's a close, it's a close second. <laughs> okay. All right. Uh, an improviser, being a sketch performing improviser was a big deal. Like yeah, they, yeah. you got treated pretty well in that world. Of course, the magic is gone once you step off that ship. Right. So. Well, and I don't know if you guys did this. We had a thing where we taught workshops to passengers on Saturday and Sunday afternoons. And I was always shocked at the turnout at these oh, really? people. I'm like, yeah. there's, there is, the Bahamas are right out that door. All you got to do <laughs> is go out the door and yeah. you're in the Bahamas yeah. and you're sitting here playing zip, zap, zop with me. Yeah. Like, what the hell is going on? My favorite question from a, a passenger was always, did you ever want to be on that Saturday Night Live? And just to say like, no, yeah. I want to talk to you on this yeah, cruise ship. Had, that never dawned on me. Yeah. Oh, I'm going to send What's an email. That? People can do that. I had <laughs> the no dumbest idea. question I ever got was, uh, do these stairs go up or down? One time I got asked oh, that. That's a good one. And they asked me if they t Disney towed the private island out of the way if there was a hurricane. Whoa. <laughs> I swear to God, somebody wow. asked me. That's funny. The, uh, <clears throat> um, the intellect of the average uh, cruise uh, cruiser, maybe because it was sometimes assisted by alcohol, but like mm -hmm. it really made me go in alignment with the the staff like i may i didn't know a filipino person before i got on the ship after one month you have a thousand filipino buddies absolutely and you see how they are mistreated by the staff maybe this wasn't true because i know disney cruise is a classy ship but on my ship you would commonly see this 300 pound redneck woman shouting at this articulate perfectly literate uh, mm -hmm. filipino housekeeping person and see that person take it and smile and just so it's funny how I got on that ship as an American and and quickly aligned with the staff. You really, know? Yeah, really? Yeah, absolutely. Wow. Well, uh, my third night there, the, I in my hallway across the hallway uh, was a, a bunch of of the Filipino actually uh, deck crew. You know, they scraped the barnacles and sure, cleaned sure. and swabbed whatever. And one of them had a karaoke machine. Um, and they would, I didn't know this at the time, but I'd learned it quickly that every week they would have a little karaoke party in the hallway. So my third night in the hallway, the boat, yeah, in the hallway. <laughs> my third night on the boat, like three o'clock in the morning, I wake up to, and they call it puppy rough, <laughs> just like in the distance, like echo, like uh -huh. just creepy as hell, this Filipino version of Donny Osmond. <laughs> and I went looking for him and I ended up joining the karaoke party. <laughs> I was like, what's going on, guys? Awesome. Let's, let's break it down. Um, but there was a lot of them were like professionals, like doctors or, you know, mm. real professionals from wherever they were but just could make a better living doing this grunt work yeah and then just came and took shit from everybody it was it's it kind of like i uh, love those guys my buddy greg warren who's got a new cd out actually a new comedy cd check it out it's really Plugs funny dan murray <laughs> what about greg <laughs> <laughs> uh he does this bit about i guess groupon or something where you you know where now anybody can go to a four star 
but you get two star people. You know? <laughs> right. so it really sounds like that kind of just white trash all of a sudden get a chance to boss somebody around. And yeah, the, you know, what's um, what I thought was interesting is I did make those generalizations about the people, but a lot of the people. So to set the time, this was, I think, 2009 when I got on the cruise ship. Uh, Katrina wasn't far behind and uh-huh. that, that area in New Orleans was kind of economically hit. So you'd see a lot of people who maybe were who they were by circumstance. Mm-hmm. And then over the week of a cruise ship, you get get to know them a little bit. So this guy who you kind of thought, who is this guy? Is this kind of trashy redneck dude? By the last day, you find out that he's a he runs a, a, a homeless shelter and he's a street oh. preacher and he's the nicest salt of the earth guy you're ever going to meet in your life. So I thought I'd bring it down with that story. Yeah. And I had a bit of a different experience because working at the Disney on the Disney ship, like it's a pretty pricey ship. And on top of that, there's some weird form of reverence for Disney and its employees. Like a guest of Disney will hardly ever berate the guy selling churros at Disneyland because he's part of the Disney team. Like there's just this weird reverence. Like the customer may not always be right when it comes to Disney. So they would see somebody, even if they were mopping with a Mickey Mouse on their shirt and would kind of, you know. Do you know nobody ever dies at Disney? They don't. That is true. Nobody (laughs) ever dies at Disneyland or Disney World? They always die on the way to the hospital, <laughs> or they die yeah. uh, when they get to the hospital. Nobody, they could have their head lopped off on uh, the Matt- Matterhorn. Because but there's they, no medical professional to pronounce them dead. Well, they just put Walt's on. head on for, <laughs> for a couple hours, and then when they're clear of the property, they let well, it you go. You were talking uh, before, we were talking before about like bad improv gigs in general, sure. about sketch groups and things like that. And like I said, I've done Tony and Tina's, and then this show called Flanagan's Wake, which people from Chicago might know, Minneapolis, I think it's been all over, but um, um, doing improv, you're always going to uh, the audience for suggestions, and there was a, an episode of Flanagan's Awake where we didn't have much of an audience, so we mm-hmm. tried to pad the house by going and inviting people in this bar area into the show area to try to build an audience, basically because we didn't want the show to go down because we wanted to all have jobs. Right. And this day, there was only like a couple little kids and like a table full of guys from India. And um, this show has a lot of suggestions. It's not like an improv group where you might do a half hour herald off one word. Mm -hmm. This, you go to the audience a lot. And in this case, we found out that what we had done was worse than the, you know, it was better not to have an audience because every time we went to this table, these Indian guys would always say OJ Simpson (laughs) for everything. Flanagan, he had a favorite song. What was the song? O.J. Simpson? Ah, uh, that's right. So you have to improvise a song about O.J. Simpson. That's like, oh, Flanagan's best friend was there. I think we know who that is. O.J. Simpson? That's right. Oh, O'Reilly Johnson Simpson was there. It was a lot of... I think I was, I don't know if you were doing that when I was in Minneapolis, but I went both times. Yeah. We're still trying to figure out where we met. I'm trying yeah, to think maybe yeah. that was it. It was, yeah, it was in Minneapolis was it. somewhere, but who knows? Were you yelling out O.J. Simpson at a bar? Uh, yes, in blackface. Yeah. I always had a shoe polish on. I've always said that I would rather be in... An improv improvised scene going bad than watching watching an it, improvised yeah. scene oh, yeah, going I, bad. I cannot cringe enough like you become because <laughs> at least if I'm on stage I can kill myself or I can leave the scene. But I but we, watching I've seen and I've been in plenty of bad yeah. and I've seen plenty of bad. I, and it's I, always is, harder to watch. This is my favorite improv story of all time. There was a girl in my first class. I'm not going to say her name, but she was awful. Had never improvised a day in her life and refused to learn mm-hmm. or try. 
she would like a rehearsal she would you know she didn't text this was 1999 but she would just you know sit in the corner and not talk to anybody and she wouldn't even try just awful 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 there was one week where she actually said she was going to try and so we, we were backstage with her and we're trying to explain to her the important things. We're like, the most important thing is that we establish a strong relationship. It's important that you and I, we get on the stage, we have a strong relationship. And it's Bruce Green and her doing this scene. And they walk out on stage. And right before we walk out, we're like, strong relationship. And she's like, yeah, I got it. We walk out on the stage. The scene starts. It's like in a photo booth or something. And he goes, welcome to One Hour Moto Photo. May I help you? And she goes, I work here. <laughs> and Bruce Green looks her right in the eye and goes, that's right. I forgot because I'm crazy. I don't know anything because I'm crazy. I got to go to the doctor or something and runs off the stage. And we leave her up there for 14 minutes alone, blocking the backstage exits. We will not let her get off stage. Nobody will join her. We just made her suffer under the spotlight of being an idiot. Uh, and it was the greatest thing I've ever seen in my entire life. Brett ended up marrying her. Yeah. And that <laughs> woman was my wife. <laughs> Um, when, when I was doing, uh, all right, I got started out doing sketching improv at the ice house and eventually stand up through that. And we used to do, and we started out doing games, I guess like everybody does improv games. The one thing that, that, that kind of burned me out, uh, on improv was it was this always, you always got the same suggestions and it always oh, yeah. kind of went from being improv improvised oh, to, yeah. Oh, I have my dentist bit. Oh, yeah. I have my coworker bit. Yeah. Oh, I did you guys did you guys have to struggle with that at all? I, or I didn't see it as a struggle eventually because that wasn't innovation wasn't the product we were asked to sell. Okay. So we knew the venue, we knew the audience, the clientele, and we knew that it wasn't our job to blow their minds with something abstract and existential. Mm -hmm. They just wanted to laugh. Sure. And they paid good money for it. And they were too drunk to know you were doing anything else anyhow. Um what I was surprised by was some suggestions that would come up like pussy sausage <laughs> that were very, that were scraping the bottom of like what, scatological right. stuff. And then this same redneck audience, whenever you said, can I have a film style? Film noir was right. the first thing. Oh, would really? A film noir hasn't been made in 50 years. Yeah, yeah. And still, this is the most popular suggestion for a movie genre um, or we had a game, we started talking about games, we had a game that's like a kind of a word guessing game where one improviser has to get the other one to guess this word, the other guy's out of the room. Uh, masticate was like always this thing people would come up with whenever you say, come up with a long word. Right, and, right. Yeah, yeah. Wow. Wow. I don't even know what masticate but, means. But yeah, we had a lot of the short form stuff where even when you're asking the suggestion from the audience, it was like a magician's, like forcing a magician would force a card on somebody. Mm -hmm. You know, the magician knows he's going to give that person the ace of diamonds. Right. This was a, you would ask the audience for uh, something valuable that a woman might wear on her hand, which is going to say diamond <laughs> ring. Her, her left had, hand. Yeah, <laughs> on, her, on, her, on her ring finger. Kermit right. the frog. <laughs> yeah. Everybody had their thing. So we were part and parcel of this, this right. horrible I guess. Yeah, See, I guess and, you're being And, paid and knowing so. that it was a rotating audience, Knowing that oh, the yeah. people you saw three days ago were in another country now, yeah, yeah. you know, yeah. you, sometimes you get a little lazy. You're yeah, like, there's oh, that bit that really killed. No, I remember it was it was actually a because I used to get, you know, I would try because I would get mad at myself if I went back to my, but it's hard to do in a sold out room and you're killing, you know. And then I would get mad at myself if I if I would go back to it. And then I remember one time we asked for a suggestion and naturally somebody yelled out gynecologist mm -hmm. and everybody, everybody in the audience laughs. And then one of the improvisers was like, Oh, real original. But then I'm like thinking it's original for them. Yeah. They have never been 
to a comedy club, let yeah. alone an, an improvised show. Yeah. You know, it's original for them, so we gotta certain well, and, we gotta you know yeah. we gotta do this. Yeah. And, and that's that changed of, my attitude on it. Really. Well, that's one of the reasons why I will always say that I am more impressed by an, a pretty good comedian than I am by the best improviser. Like you can say it's a more difficult skill you're coming up on the fly, whatever. But right. there's so much helping the improviser in a show situation. The audience is laughing at themselves and their mm -hmm. hilarious suggestions, so they're invested in liking it. Sure. So even if it's not that great, they're gonna be like, "That was my word." Right. You know, they they know you're making it up, so they cut you some slack. And the most importantly, there's other people on stage with you you can lean on, and if you don't have something, you can shrink away, and if you do, you can step forward yeah. and help. There's just so many more performer benefits. Whereas being a stand-up, you know, you wrote this shit at home and you're standing up there by yourself and if it's not funny, they're mad at you because <laughs> yeah. you, you're you not making it up. You're not like, oh, well, I tried. Right. You you sat at home and, <laughs> and convinced yourself this shit was hilarious. So if it's not, they're angry. So yeah. I just... I. I bow down to stand-ups uh, as much fun and, and success as I've had doing improv. I, I um, speaking of like a cast, you having kind of a, a a deadbeat cast member. I found that I was lucky enough that both the casts I was in were in were incredibly talented. The second cast were incredibly crazy mm -hmm. uh, because um, they had been within the system of this very popular comedy theater for a long time and if like second city is very renowned for sending people up to the big leagues of saturday night live and into the entertainment industry to an eventual fame and everybody who i was in this second cast with had been paying dues in that farm system for years and years and had been told by the producers and directors dude your shot is just about up there are any day now where they're going to get made and they would be off onto eventual celebrity sure. well they'd been told that for five ten years yeah so there was this poison and a lot of people like you know any given cast you might know or any given group of people there might be one crazy these were all crazy oh, really? and every different type of crazy you've ever met like there's the diva there's mm. there's there's three different gay boys who were crazy in three different ways mm -hmm. there was the the alcoholic you know guy who would get super violent on stage and heard mm. voices and they're all it, but at the same time, and you'll count this in the entertainment industry, they got the job done really well. Yeah, so sure. we all know that talented bastard. This was like a whole cast of them. <laughs> oh, really? It was a whole cast of them. <laughs> so you st I like my jerks untalented and stupid. They aren't always like that. Right, right. right. And if you think of uh, Second City is the name of the company. Second City <laughs> has a stellar uh, alumni list that included got a lot of people who were so funny they couldn't even handle their lives. A lot John Candy, John sure. Bushy, Chris Farley, yeah, yeah. who burned out because nobody ever told them the job is never, the job is be funny. Nobody ever says, you got to take care of yourself. You right, got to right. be sane. You got to do little stuff. So especially on a cruise ship, those wackadoo kind of behaviors can be fostered and encouraged. Well, I guess there's nothing else to do. So you can really, really cash yeah. in on your demons. Well, and, you know? and like I mentioned briefly earlier, beers are a quarter, right? The most yeah. expensive drink you could get in the crew bar was a long Island iced tea and it was 40 cents. <laughs> and so if you, if you happen to like, and you didn't even need cash money, you had like a little crew card, uh -huh. your ID, you just swipe it. They take it out of your check. So if oh, you enjoy yeah. drinking, <laughs> this was like, this is the worst place you could possibly be. Um, and you, but you could buy around for the whole bar, and it right. would be eleven yeah. seventy five. <laughs> they would think you're the greatest guy on earth. <laughs> we were encouraged to uh, to mingle with the guests to the point 
but but told that if we were to ever sleep with a guest that we would be immediately fired. But the um, this was the smallest cruise. So Norwegian uh, Cruise Lines has a big fleet. This was the smallest and maybe the most forgotten ship of the fleet. Mm-hmm. Um, the Flying Dutchman. The cruise director. A lot of these people had been in the industry for a long time, like 20 years, and had seen it change. And this cruise director told us when he was, he was British. He says, when I joined this company, they asked me, does your dick work? Because you're going to need it. (laughs) Basically, he was encouraged to fuck every guest he could find. (laughs) And that was part of the gig. Show these people a good time. That really makes me rethink Captain Stubing. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I actually did sleep with a couple of guests, but I uh, had to sneak. Because right, it was yeah. the same thing. They said, so if you sleep with a guest, you're not fired immediately. It's if you're caught sleeping with a guest, you're fired immediately. Okay. And luckily that never happened. Did you find that your career was trapped in <laughs> still time? It was like, I, not only I felt like was my career kind of stopped, but then when you get back to the real world at LA or New York or Chicago, you got to play catch up. Well, Absol- because Jeff, you rec- this was two years ago, three years ago? It was about three years ago. Three yeah, years yeah. ago where he took his uh, long cruise ship yeah. thing and, yeah. and he, I didn't have a career I, I felt the exact oh, okay. opposite because I had done some improv in college mm-hmm. and you know in San Antonio and in Austin and then just lo- got you know lucky at this audition not like whatever did well at this audition and just happened to get in so it to me it seemed like the next step like yeah. I did improv for the for seven dipshits in the commons at school right. and now you know I'm doing it on a boat and they're giving me money so I, I felt like it was a progression for sure when like, I got I, when I got fried with uh, improv games. I went and started doing stand up and all that. Um, and then um, my friend, I met this guy named James Grace, who is now head of IO West, and asked me to come in and do an improvised play with him. And I'm like, wow, you can do that? I didn't know you could do that. And we got one suggestion for a word, and we did a half hour, 45 minute play. And in that cat was like Teresa Mulligan. Wow. Who was now EP of. Uh, how I Met Your Mother mm-hmm. and Derek Mears, you oh, know yeah, Derek yeah, Mears, yeah. who is yeah. now the new Freddie, yeah, kind of yeah. random, awesome uh, Friday Thirteenth or whatever. So I got I got welcomed to this world of long form improv, and then I got into IO, and then Eric Stone Street was my coach, and like mm-hmm. all these brilliant, you know, yeah. Pat Finn and all those guys, and David Keckner, and just I this whole opened up this whole new world of long form improv. Is any of that ever you guys ever dip your toe into long form? In, in Minneapolis, working for the same comedy theater that, that Brett is an alumni of, that's when I taught long form and Harold mm-hmm. and, and stuff. You know, what's funny. We were talking about uh, a comic versus an improv troupe. And I found out here the it's so much easier to sell and market yourself as an individual comic and develop material and develop a product to sell than it is to be a member of Funny Side Up or an improv right. group. Try to get six, seven guys to rehearse and meet on a regular basis to promote the show, to do all that stuff. I found it like such a challenge, something I enjoyed, mm-hmm. but such a challenge to do that I ended up stopping. Yeah. Well, I did some improv when I first came to town. but And I, I oh, I'm sorry, please. That's the story. Oh, and I see, I have never been, and, and I don't look down on them, I appreciate them, but I've never been one of those theatrical improvisers mm-hmm. that is just so uh, glued into the art of it and the theater of it and the, you know, my I was always like a comedian who improvised. My job was to make them laugh, and if they laughed, I did my job properly. I don't if I broke the fourth wall or if I you know didn't follow one of the rules, the whole room laughed. So I felt my job was was done. So among some of the hardcore improvisers, uh, that 
attitude is not always it, always looked upon favorably. <laughs> right, yeah. So I just I, I I've done long form. I went and saw a hour and a half long form improvised drama. Uh, in Chicago, oh, wow. which is is the hour and a half of my life I would most likely right, like right. to trade in for something right. else. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I've done all this theatrical stuff. I know and respect all those people. I just to me it was just like we're there to make people laugh. Like yeah. I felt more like a comic doing theater than a than an improv me, actor. Me too. I always felt like I was writing on stage and waiting for people to uh, say the lines I was thinking in my head that they should be saying. Yeah. Not yeah. Really in the moment. So well, that brings me to my maybe my final question. I don't know. Um, when did, we never even got around to me sleeping with the girl with the colostomy bag. You're up. <laughs> <laughs> Man. No, go ahead. Ask your final question. No, I don't, I I don't want to bore you. I want to see how pussy sausage gets into <laughs> that one. <laughs> um, as uh, all three of us are professional writers, do you feel like your background of, of improv helps you writing at all? Helps your writing at all? Uh, yeah, I was writing this uh, feature film about a guy who sleeps with a girl with a colostomy bag. Right. Oh, right. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely, it uh, for me a lot of writing. Writing is a very solitary endeavor, and there's a thing called a first draft that you have to really get through before you can really start the writing in earnest. Uh -huh. And being fearless about making mistakes, about moving forward whether you know what the end is going to be or not, are all things that we learn as improvisers, not to judge another performer, but not to judge your own writing. Sure. So it's been an invaluable tool just to get that first bit out. And, yeah, and yeah. then you can put on the the kind of analytical hat for that second draft. Mm -hmm. Well, and, and I think absolutely. And on in terms of like what we do, like on clip shows or these award shows where we're writing one-liners and jokes or these little short-form stories, mm -hmm. I, I find it to be very similar process. Like I sit down with a piece of paper and then just improvise it with my fingers, mm -hmm. you know, and that's where my first draft comes from is just for the first time. And I think because of that improv muscle, uh, I find that I usually end up sticking with 80 to 90% of that first instinct. It, it's just, it, you know, the instincts honing and the, and the trusting of them, I think yeah. has added a lot, especially to the short form writing that we do. One of my favorite writing stories is uh, we had a boss named Steve on Country Fried. Yeah. I uh, and I, he called me in one day and said, I'm turning my scripts in too fast. He said, you're turning your work in too fast and you notice I'm always giving you a lot of notes. And, you know, so just try to take more time and, and do more time with it. So I wrote them just as fast. Then I'd go for a walk around the block or I would, you know, go get some yeah. lunch and turn them in a couple hours later. And he's like, see what can happen <laughs> when you take your time. Do you see if you just, if you just take a little time and, so I remember the first time you started working, we started working together right on a TV show, but it was going to get not personal, but like inside baseball now. But uh, Brett and I were working and like we would get assigned like three scripts a week. And like the end of the day, Monday, Brett's like going to turn his in. I'm like, what are you doing? <laughs> we have till Friday. He's like, but I finished. You're going to write us out of a job, man. <laughs> Let, if they give us till Friday, take till Friday to yeah. turn it. Or they're going to be like, oh, we don't need these guys. We can cut these guys loose a month and a half early. And we're out of a work. And take I, your time. You taught me so much about being a television professional. Because I was just so eager and just like, hey, look at me. Look at me. Look at me. And you, you so many lessons I can attribute mm -hmm. uh, to Murray Valeriano. The grizzled veteran. And now, uh, and now listen, that really paid off. We had that one gig where we just sat in the basement for three <laughs> weeks and didn't do anything, but just kept saying, see you on Monday, every Friday, and they kept paying us. Well, that sounds like a great so I gig. learned. I totally learned. Was. We, got, we got a gig to write a, to write a pilot, and 
the the company had never done comedy before, so they hired me and Brett and another friend of ours, Stephen Brophy, we got on. And they literally put us in the basement of Sunset Gower Studios <laughs> and said, can you have this thing written by the end of February? And this was the beginning of February. Like, sure. We got it written in a week. <laughs> we, just, we just fucking just came and went as we went for three weeks. That was awesome. And I, I'm sorry, real quick, I have to tell a story about this, this thing. Me and Murray are walking home from lunch or walking back to the office from lunch in this office. And there's this little trampoline on the side of the road that <laughs> someone had thrown away. Decrepit, decrepit, terrible trampoline. <laughs> so I pick that it up and like start rolling King it. Novel. I start rolling it towards the office. He's like, what are you doing we don't want that nasty old thing in our office i'm like just trust me roll it into the office put it in the middle of the room between all three of our desks and he's in the middle of saying i really don't want that i'm gonna hit my toe there's no reason this being here one of the female production assistants walks in and goes hey guys i need to ooh a trampoline and starts jumping up and down in the middle of the room and as soon as she left he was like i will never doubt you again mr calvert you are a genius and then for the next two weeks it was just a random parade of women coming in and jumping up and down in our office were invented right there. Yeah. I have a question. Has anybody in this room ever been intimate with somebody whose secretions were collected in a bag of some kind? Here's what I will say about that story. I obviously cannot name any names. All I'm saying is if you have, narrowed it down if to. you have a colostomy bag and you're dating someone, you should tell them about the colostomy bag before the relationship gets to the point that they take off your pants. <laughs> I, that there needs to be some sort of heads up. Like before your zodiac sign. <laughs> so, yeah, so I, I was dating this girl, went on a lunch date, went back to my room, I took off her pants, and there was a bag of shit strapped to her leg. And I didn't know what, the, you can't just get up and run out of the room. Right, you can't no. be like, ah! So I had to be like, it's okay. And she started crying, and I should have told you, and I was like, yeah, but. The only uh, thing worse than that that could have happened is if she had a thing of stra- and it wasn't a colostomy bag. Bag <laughs> <laughs> right. of someone else's shit strapped to her leg. Bruce Green gave me this. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> well, guys, I can't thank you enough for coming on the show today. This is a lot of fun. Uh, Brett, what's where can we check you out? I know you're writing a lot for TV right now. Uh, I am. I, I'm about, um, about to start a new show. I can't talk too much about uh, yeah. the thing that I am so proud of and pleased with and want everyone to to watch is trust me i'm a game show host with uh, dl hughley and michael ian black mm-hmm. uh coming on tbs premieres october 22nd it is easily no offense murray the funniest show i've ever worked on <laughs> the funniest game show definitely okay, i don't I've know about country better yeah show. so right so funniest game show, like and those two guys dl and michael just crush it and i just got to sit and write jokes with them all day awesome. and i'm just i'm so proud of that show october 22nd awesome. and you actually me, called me to come work on that show with you you know, I did. I, I tried. I was going to Canada, so I can... Uh, and at Brett Calvert on at, Twitter. At Brett One Calvert. One T and Brett, at Brett Calvert. At Brett Calvert. Who, by the way, I'm not a Vine fan, but Brett Calvert probably did the funniest Vine I've ever seen in my life. Oh, thank you. Was and, it the tinfoil? Yeah, yeah. And I will, if you put, <laughs> post again, I'll, re- I'll put it... Can you put Vine on Facebook? Uh, I think so. Yeah. All right. I'll try and put it on the on the Road Stories Facebook page. It was hysterical. It's that means the only, it's the only one I have Vine I've ever really liked. Oh, thanks, dude. Do you do Vine, Jeff? I don't succeed at it. Okay. Actually, I'm in a sh- I'm in a thing on Vine called Headvines, which is a short headline show that's on on Vine. So search Headvines and you'll see me reading six second news bits. Okay. Yeah. I'm cool. also at Jeff Hopkins on Twitter, and if you go to um, YouTube.com/slash/FakeAdamWest, you can see some goofy videos where I wear spandex. Yeah, they're see, really. That's funny. where the plug goes. That was that's perfect. Where the plug goes. Yeah, it'll yeah. probably be edited earlier. We won't even know what happened. I'm gonna pull it out and put it at the end yeah. and replace that one because that was yeah. as good as the first one. <laughs> 
Um, all right, that's great. Hey, uh, <clears throat> excuse me. The LA Podcast Festival is coming up in two weeks. Uh, yeah, it'll be two weeks after this goes on. It's great. Uh, you can get tickets. Uh, Comedy Film Nerds is there. Mark Marin is there. Jackie Cation's Dark Forest. Greg Fitzsimmons Show. You can go to LA Podfest uh, and get all the information. Get your tickets there. I'm there. I've got the two o'clock s- slot on Saturday, and I promise I'm lining up some good guests. Um, but come on out. Um, I even have a, f- a couple free tickets to give away. So if you want to go, hit me up on. Uh, how about somebody write a review? A good review on. Uh, on iTunes, and I'll give away some uh, free passes. And that's the, I think the free passes are for the whole weekend. You can go into any show with those passes. Ooh. And I think there's going to be a big stand up show there. With... How'd you talk Andy out of those passes? <laughs> <I don't know. laughs> it's put on by our friend Andy Wood. And uh, uh, yeah, so I got a couple of them to get rid of. And I promise I'll get good guests. T shirts? You guys got not your t shirts? Like uh, not like this crummy show. I have good guests that time. <laughs> hey, listen, Next. we all swing and miss. <laughs> not everything can be a Maserati, oh, okay? This is, my, this is my Fiero show. <laughs> Um, uh, t-shirts are in the store so they'll be up there uh, uh, hop on those and that's it at Murray V on Twitter and uh, thanks a lot guys thanks for listening and I'll see you next week thanks guys yay you want to know about life on the road it's booze tacos angry dwarfs strippers waving guns and these fights cancel flights running with the runs and blacklists bounce checks great a bachelorette <laughs> Drunks in the front making out for your set. And middle acts doing blow more missing merch. And drive the rental car past another mega church. And juice keys, vagina fist, your cell phone is gone. One big law and order.